Hello everyone, my name is JT Wooster-Sill, and I'm excited to welcome you to another edition of the From the Stands podcast. On today's show, going over the NFL awards, I'm going to name to you guys who I think should be the winner of each of the main awards coming up at the NFL Honors this Saturday night. Also, a Super Bowl breakdown, going over the keys to the game as well as predicting who will win the big Sunday matchup. And finally, I'm going to hit on a couple of different stories going on around the NBA, some things that have stood out to you. And my big takeaway segment has returned, and it's going to focus on the Brooklyn Nets. So I hope you guys will stay for the end for that. But kicking it off, got to start with the big trade. The Rams trading for Matthew Stafford. Trading for him, what they had to give up was a 2022 first-round pick and a 2023 first-round pick, and they had to move off of Jared Goff, which that in and of itself was a reward for them. I think they would have given up a first-round pick to move off him. The unfortunate thing is he will still carry a, a 20 million dead cap, 20 million in dead cap this upcoming season for them. And I think there's a little bit more for the years to come, but it was worth it to get off of his awful contract. And that's my big takeaway of this deal. It was worth it for the Rams because it makes them a true Super Bowl contender. Gone is the, well, I mean, their defense could dominate and get them there. No, 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 no. This is a real Super Bowl contender now. That defense is already at an elite level and that offense is gonna take another step up. People have been figuring out this Rams offense and hey, that Jared Goff guy, he's not very good. They started to realize that. There's a reason that John Wofford is com competing with this guy for a chance to start in the National Football League for a playoff team. John Wofford, a guy who only updated his LinkedIn page to say NFL quarterbacks a week before the, super, the playoffs started because that's when he started his first game against the Cardinals a few weeks back. So talking about the trade in general, I just I really like it because of Stafford's ability to make big time plays. He is 16th all time in passing yardage and he's only played, oh, I believe he's 2009 draftee. So just around 13, 12 years in the league. I am horrible at math, so do not hold me to those numbers, but he's a big time player. He's top five in the NFL. Actually, I believe top three even in clutch fourth quarter come, behind, come from behind wins. So we know we can step up in those moments and make the necessary plays. This is the best team he's ever played for. He's going to join it instantly. So I think that'll help him elevate him. It'll be the best rushing attack he's ever had, the best offensive line he's ever played behind. And I don't think Cam Akers will be the best running back he's ever played behind, but considering Stafford has only had a thousand yard, a hundred yard, someone who rushed for a hundred yards, I believe it's something like five times in his career. Well, I know for a fact there was a span for like five years they didn't have a running back break over a hundred yards after they moved off of Reggie Bush until on Johnson broke that just a few seasons ago. So that's just how bad and disoriented the Detroit Lions were. And now Stafford's going to join an organization that can run the ball really well. He's going to have the best play calling he's ever had in Sean McVay and that defense. I mean, it's a Super Bowl defense. They beat Seattle earlier because of how dominant that Rams defense was. And now they get Matthew Stafford in there. Yes, the cap hit sucks, but I think Matthew Stafford is a top 10 quarterback. I know it's close. He's in that 15 to 10, 15 to 5 range somewhere in there. He's 15 to 8. He's obviously nowhere near a top 5 quarterback, but I do believe he does barely squeak into the top 10. Even this year, it was riddled with injuries for a small portion, and just the team around him wasn't very good. That's the team that obviously quit on head coach Matt Patricia. I, I'm sure I would have quit on Patricia, too. I just don't think he's a very good head coach and did nothing to assure you that he was worthy of the job in his two years there. It was a really disappointing couple of seasons for him, but I'm I really into Stafford. I think he's a big-time player. We know he's got the big-time arm. He's made big time plays. He's tough. And I think that's why Sean McVay loved him is a toughness. And he was excited to get him in the building so they could open some stuff up, open up this offense, make the big time plays. I think that was really important. And that's why they really wanted to go in. And they were okay giving up so much because they say, hey, 
the gap between Stafford and Goff, who Goff, I mean, I talked about that Stafford is, I think Goff is probably a bottom 10 quarterback that starts in the NFL, honestly. So they saw that big jump in play. They think we're a Super Bowl contender. That's worth the largest amount of dead money an NFL team will ever take on because of the Jared Goff thing. Now, let's shift over to the Lions' perspective. The first thing you have to applaud is the Lions organization did right by Matthew Stafford. A lot of teams would have taken the best deal for them. And you know what? This deal was not the best for them. It was a business decision that they did not make. They decided to take, they prioritized their franchise player and what he wanted and his happiness. Because they, if I'm the, I have a hard time believing the Lions didn't want the eighth overall pick from the Carolina Panthers. And then also they don't have to take on the Goff contract and they're in great position to draft their next franchise quarterback. Maybe they have to move up to get him slightly, but either way, you have a chance to land one of the, there's four franchise quarterbacks in this year's draft. And I think they would have had a chance to draft one because they could have packaged. They would have had the seventh and eighth pick, I believe. So they could have even packaged that and moved up to, oh, let's say the number two spot. And depending on how they felt about a Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, move up and grab one of those guys. So they did right by Stafford. They took the lesser deal. It's still two first round picks, which is nice, but they took the lesser of two deals because you can't beat that top 10 pick like that. And even with the Washington football team, the Colts, the Patriots, some of those other teams, they were offering higher first round picks than you were getting from the Rams. And you basically took two picks that are going to be in the 20s back to back years. If I had to bet my money, I'd even say those picks will be behind 25. So you're just, you're trying to draft a high end starter. It is always possible to hit on guys in those late first rounds that still become pro bowlers. It's just the odds are less likely than when you pick in the top 10. If you had two top 10 selections, say this year, which they could have had if they took the Carolina deal, but they did right by their star franchise player who's given them so much throughout his career. He was their best player at the quarterback position in franchise history, and I applaud them for making that move and being so unselfish when it comes to what's best for Matthew Stafford, and they weren't selfish and said, what's best for us? Now, as for the Jared Goff thing, I believe it's four years left on that massive contract. It was only just a year and a half ago, or maybe two years ago, that Sean McVay said, yeah, this is my guy. I can win with him. And which everyone else was kind of like, are you sure this is your guy? And then McVay eventually would realize, oh, hey, this is not my guy. I cannot win with him. Get him out of here. So they ship him out. So the Lions general manager, he drafted, he was part of the draft room that drafted Jared Goff that moved up to get him. They were really into him. So a lot of people are saying they think he's going to be their starter for the next few years. And I do agree with that. But I, a lot of people are also saying they shouldn't draft a quarterback. And that I completely disagree with. If Jared Goff, can't get it done. And this is what I mean by get it done. Because people say, oh, he led him to a Super Bowl. He did not lead this team to a Super Bowl. And I know it's the first because it's the quarterback's position. It's a quarterback's league. But that's not what this situation is. You have to understand how good that team was. The play calling. Todd Gurley, Offensive Player of the Year. A receiving corpse with Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, tight ends, Gerald Ed- Everett, and uh, T. Oh, I just blanked on the other tight end's name. Either way. Then you talk about really good defenses over the years. The Akeem Tlaib, Marcus Peters. Oh, he's only played with Aaron Donald, one of the best defensive tackles and defensive players we've ever seen, too. No, 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 no. That team made it to the Super Bowl in spite of Jared Goff's play. And those are just facts, if you ask me. I just, you watch those games and you think, oh, what's the weakness of this Rams team? I'd go with the quarterback who's still young, but he could get better. Guess what? He never really got that much better behind that offensive line, too. So, and he's throwing really good play calling. You ship that off to Detroit now, and you take everything away. You downgrade in play calling. Offensive line is worst. 
you could potentially have a better number one receiver. Cooper Cup, Kenny Galladay, that's a debate. But also, it's the Rams definitely have a deeper receiver room. Just because Kenny Galladay is a good one doesn't mean the rest of the guys are as good, especially when you factor in Marvin Jones Jr. is a free agent. And it sounded like he's about to bolt on out of there. So I don't count that one either. So I just, and you look at the defense. Defense is worse too. That was whole Patricia's calling card and not even he could save this awful defense. Now they've invested some draft capital into it. And maybe some of those guys start to improve. So we'll see. So am I to expect that Jared Goff, who couldn't get it done in the perfect surroundings with everything laid out for him, everything a quarterback could want, as I listed just a little bit ago, am I supposed to expect he can go to Detroit and with an organization that's had that much dysfunction, been in that much disarray, that many draft misses, not a complete roster, and elevate them? No, I don't believe that. I think because they're still sitting at number eight, they have their first round pick this year. Remember, the Rams one doesn't come in until next year on top of their own first round pick next year, obviously. I would draft a quarterback. I would love to get Trey Lance. And I think that's the best case scenario. Hey, I would be, even by the time they get the Trey Lance, the guy could fall out by then. I think you take a quarterback because you never know when you're going to be in the top 10. What if Goff actually does play better? This team plays a little better and you're outside of the top 10. But your goal should still be you're trying to win a Super Bowl. And I and we've seen Jared Goff in the perfect situation couldn't win a Super Bowl with his surrounding and supporting cast. So why in the world am I to believe he's going to be able to take this team to a Super Bowl without those guys? I don't, and neither should Detroit. They should take a quarterback. Trey Lance would be perfect. He's only started 17 games in college, I believe. He only played one game this last season. He needs time. You can play Goff for two seasons, and then you have Lance sit back and develop, and that would be a perfect scenario. Now, I wouldn't have them reach on a quarterback. Let's say all four of those guys are gone. Don't take Mac Jones. He's not a top 10 quarterback. Then I would be like, okay, let's wait a year and let's give, you still want to give Goff a chance. You hope he proves you wrong. But I honestly think the reason they did this deal outside of the Stafford thing was they got two first round picks in it. And in a lot of case scenarios, two can be better than one. Would I rather have two first round picks that are going to be 25 to 30 probably, or the Colts pick, let's say that's going to be 21. In that situation, I would rather have two first round picks, but I would rather have like eighth overall than those two first round picks if we're talk, going back and talking about that Carolina deal. So that's just where I think the difference of opinion is between what I would have done. But hey, they got the two first round picks. Their GM, Brad, Brad Holmes, now I can remember his name. He is the guy who wants to move. He want, he still believes in this guy, Golf. He took a chance on him in the draft. He still sees things that could happen. I think it was a mistake. And honestly, I think the whole thing was a mistake. I applaud the Lions as an organization for doing right by their quarterback. I think they will look back on this and say, that was a mistake. We didn't do what was best for our organization. And the NFL is still a business at the end of the day. Should have done what was right for their business and brand. All righty. That is more than enough on Matt Stafford, Jared Goff, and this situation that, if I can throw one last thing into it, I do believe makes the Rams a Super Bowl contender and easily one of the three best teams in the NFL even. May even be the best team in the NFC. We'll see how the Buccaneers do, but I think they're right in there with the Packers as well. So that'll just be interesting to see how that plays out going into next year. Next up, NFL Honors. The NFL Honors is always a big award show. The one thing that always sucks about the NFL Honors is like kind of like the NBA Awards, but it, the timing is much better for the NFL because it's a regular season award show. All, nothing that happens in the postseason matters, but we've only seen, oh, it'll be four weeks of NFL football since then. So it's not like, oh, everyone forgotten about the regular season. And there'll just be awards and situations where someone will win and be like, oh, but he had this bad performance in the first round. And it'll be like, yeah, that doesn't matter because it's a regular season award. So let's dive into these regular season NFL honors awards. And let's begin with the most hotly contested award, the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. 
the Battle of the Justins. And I am not referring to T Timberlake and Bieber. I am talking about Justin Jefferson versus Justin Herbert. Both these guys came in and lit it up. Herbert was drafted fifth overall, I believe. And I know Justin Jefferson was drafted 22 overall in the whole Stephon Diggs trade. That was made out of a big thing. Jefferson didn't start his first two games, comes in, lights it up, 1,400 yards, fourth in the league and the most ever by a rookie receiver, also had seven touchdowns, and looked every bit a number one receiver, too. I'll throw in there, Jefferson. Adam Thielen is great. He's an awesome red zone threat. He was right up there for tops of the league in red zone targets as well, Thielen was. But Justin Jefferson was his team's best receiver, and other defenses were treating him like that as well. Now, moving to Justin Herbert. Week two, going against the Chiefs. The ball is about to be kicked off, and head coach Anthony Lynn comes up and says, hey, you're going to start. Herbert thought he was joking, but then the whole thing with the Tyrod Taylor shot that went wrong, Herbert gets thrown in there and almost wins his first start against the defending Super Bowl champs. He would go on to have a great year. 4,336 yards, eighth in the league, 31 touchdown passes, the most ever by a rookie and the youngest ever by a quarterback, 30, over 30 touchdown passes. He's the youngest ever hit 30. And he did, and it wasn't a great situation because you're on the Chargers, so the defense struggled. Offensive line wasn't great, definitely had some weapons, but you could say the same thing for Justin Jefferson, I'll throw in there as well, because no, the pass protection wasn't great, but yet Adam Thielen's, so they can't double cover you. And Kirk Cousins is a really good quarterback. So both these guys had help and were put in pretty good positions to succeed. Unfortunately, there can't be a tie, so there can only be one offensive rookie of the year. And to me, I'm slightly going with Justin Jefferson. This is such a nitpicking award when it comes down to these two guys. Either one you can make a case for. I'm going to give the slight edge to Jefferson because I think he was slightly better overall this year than Justin Herbert. I just think what Jefferson did as basically becoming a number one receiver right away every week in and week out, balling out and performing the way he does. I, I was just really impressed. And I think Jefferson is slightly the better player. We are comparing quarterback and wide receiver, so it's incredibly difficult. I do also think it was harder. It's harder in today's, it was harder for Justin Jefferson to break the Randy Moss records he broke for the Vikings and for receiving yards than it was for Herbert to break the touchdown record just in the pass happy league we are and yes I, you can say the same thing for justin jefferson but it's been a pass happy league for the last few years and we haven't seen anyone touch randy moss's special record just two years ago we saw baker mayfield break the record that herbert just broke again so that's why i'm going to slightly lean justin jefferson i just think he's a little bit better of a player the unbelievable route routes he runs the adjustments he makes on the ball the sticky hands he only dropped one or two balls all year his ability to step up and make big time plays I'm going to slightly slide with Jefferson, but I think it's really close. And honestly, I wish I could do co-awards. Shifting over to the other side of the ball, the defensive rookie of the year, Antoine Winfield Jr., great year. Jeremy Chin, both those safeties balling out. This is Chase Young's award. Seven and a half sacks, 13 tackles for loss, and he helped lead this team to the postseason. Young was dominant all year, applying pressure to every quarterback he met. Played on a deep Washington defensive line, definitely helped. His teams could never really double him, but he still got after it. And he still started for this team that had Ryan Kerrigan and Montez Sweat, who was going on his second year in the NFL. So prop to Chase Young, he was every bit the guy who was drafted number two overall. And even after a year, he still looks like the guy with the best chance to wear a gold jacket from this draft class. So Chase Young, Defensive Rookie of the Year. Coach of the Year, a couple of deserving guys. Sean McDermott did a great job. Brian Flores was awesome, even though they just missed the playoffs. And I'm probably missing someone else off the top of my head. But you got to go with Kevin Stefanski. He broke a 19-year postseason drought. He helped Baker Mayfield turn him around. Just a year ago, we're like, is Baker a bust? No, not now Baker's the guy. And he got this roster to buy and play together. And he made all the puzzle pieces actually fit. 
How hard is that? Just ask Freddie Kitchens, who was sitting as the Giants tight end coach this year. He went from head coach to tight ends coach because of the poor job he did. And Stefanski came in here in his first year and knocked it out of the park. I think he deserves to win coach of the year. Ron Rivera was the guy I missed. He's also right up there. Just in the job this season, he did turning around the Washington football team from week one to week to their playoff game against the Buccaneers, being competitive with Taylor Heineke, I believe it was, at quarterback. So just stuff like that is absolutely insane. But you've got to give it to Stefanski for what he did, finally making the Browns competitive, uniting this super talented roster. Comeback player of the year, obviously Alex Smith. The gruesome leg injury. If you watch some of the documentaries, at one point they definitely thought he was going to lose his leg. Definitely thought he could, they definitely also thought he could lose his life. There was a little bit of a scare in moments where it was like, your life is in danger right now. And he came back and played football, and he also helped get his team to the postseason. He stepped up. I mean, he was so much better than Dwayne Haskins and that everyone else they had to throw around in there. It was just amazing to see the story, the way he stepped up and was still able to play, make some nice, tough throws. He was nowhere near. He wasn't no top 10 quarterback or anything like that, but this is a guy that most people thought would never even play football again, let alone still play pretty good football and help get his team to the postseason. He was a game manager, but that's a lot more than anyone thought he would ever be again. Alex Smith runs away with this award. Offensive Rookie of the Year. I'm sorry, we just did that. Offensive Player of the Year. This is tough, and I didn't do a quarterback. I went back and forth on Derrick Henry and Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is arguably having the best tight end season we've ever seen in general, especially if he's able to win a Super Bowl. Even in the postseason, I saw staff the other day. He has the most 100-yard games by a tight end in NFL history, which is another crazy thing. And he had the most yards in a regular season by tight end. But I went slightly with Derrick Henry. I couldn't ignore 2,000 yards rushing, 5.4 yards per carry, and 17 touchdowns when everyone knows you're getting the ball. Kelsey still had Tyreek Hill to take the pressure off. I mean, yes, A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, Ryan Tannehill, they're all really good and people are scared of them. They are not as scared as Derrick Henry and this Tennessee offensive line coming at you and pounding and punching your face into the grass. And that's exactly what he did week in and week out. And he's just a beast, a monster. And I give him the slight edge, but another really competitive one. But I just think King Henry reigns supreme for Offensive Player of the Year award. Defensive Player of the Year, another one. T.J. Watt was unbelievable. Led the NFL in sacks with 15. I got to give it to Aaron Donald. He's still the best defensive player every year. 13 and a half sacks, 20 tackles for lost. And like I said, he's the best player. And I don't want this. I'm not a guy who's not going to vote LeBron for MVP because he won it the year before. I'm just using that as an example because that's happened throughout LeBron's career. Same thing that could happen to Giannis this year. Obviously, Giannis isn't playing to that standard. But I think if Giannis is great, people would be like, eh, he didn't get it done in the postseason. They got to remember what the criteria of this award is. Regular season award. If he's the best player, still got to give it to him. That's what Aaron Donald was. The amount of attention he commands... And he still gets this many sacks. He's always lead, He's always up at league leaders in pressure. And he blows everyone else from the interior in that stat out of the water. Interior guys should never be up there with, with edge guys. He gets triple teamed sometimes. And he just makes those guys, he's by so much better. Sebastian Joseph Day, John Fox. These guys are able to eat. Leonard Floyd, Dante Fowler a couple of years ago. These guys are able to eat because of Aaron Donald is playing by their side. And I think you've got to give him a lot of credit for that. 13 and a half sacks, like I said. He's just a monster, unbelievable player. He's the quickest defensive tackle to ever play the game. The little things he does, the way he uses his hands, his quickness. It's so much fun to watch him play. Best defensive player, deserving of Defensive Player of the Year. And finally, we go to the MVP award. And this one isn't close. As much as I love Patrick Mahomes, it's Aaron Rodgers. 48 touchdowns, 4,299 yards. He led the NFL in completion percentage. He had the number one. He led his team in the number one seed in the NFC. 
help Devontae Adams had a career year. And yes, Devontae Adams is great. But I, and I think Adams is a top 10 receiver. I don't know if he's a top five receiver. I think it Rogers, once again, just an example of him elevating the 48 touchdowns also led the league. And he's just awesome what he does week in, week out. A lot of people called this since the Packers drafted Jordan Love, and it's exactly what happened. Rodgers came out with a vengeance. It was unfortunate he had to fall fall a couple weeks ago to Tampa as he it wasn't his fault they lost because of how well he played. Yes, he made the mistakes late, but we talked about that last week. Rodgers is a beast. He deserves this award. He was the best quarterback in the National Football League, and I understand Mahomes has got an argument, but it's hard to ignore what the discount double-check guy just did down there in the Lambeau Alrighty, that's going to close it out for NFL Honors. Now, Super Bowl talk. Keys, first let's get into some keys. Chiefs, keys for the Chiefs. Can the offensive line of the Chiefs hold up? They could be missing both their starting tackles. Fisher is for sure out. Mitchell Schwartz, who hasn't played in a few weeks, is still questionable at the time I'm recording this, so we don't know if he's going to come back in time. The interior of that offensive line has been shaky all year long. So are they able to hold up and give Mahomes the time he needs to be able to still execute and run this offense. Because every quarterback needs a, needs at least a little bit of time, even ones who can escape the pocket as well as he has. Also, the Chiefs got to capitalize on turnovers. Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, they both seen fumble a couple of times this year. And especially Tom Brady. We saw him throw three second-half interceptions. He has a number of errand and bad throws throughout these games lately. I think there's a really good... There's going to be opportunities where the Chiefs are going to have a chance to make a turnover, flip field position they got to capitalize on. Because Brady's going to turn the ball over. And this last one may sound crazy to some people, but Chris Jones has to dominate and he could very well be the best player on the field. I know it sounds crazy with Brady and Mahomes out there. This guy is not Aaron Donald, but he's the next best thing. Chris Jones is such a dominant interior pass rusher. He is another guy with great hand technique. He can power right through guys if left one-on-one. I hit on the Kenny Clark last week, how Kenny Clark got lined up one-on-one next to the Weak, weakness of the offensive line for that Buccaneers team and their right guard, and he blew him up for the sack. If those opportunities present itself, Chris Jones is going to capitalize, and he's going to wreck their game. And I think if he's the best player on the field for the Chiefs, they're going to blow them. They're going to blow the Buccaneers out because we know the offense is going to score. And if Chris Jones really dominates, doesn't let them really establish the run, and is able to get after Brady at the interior, it's going to be a long day for TB12 and these Buccaneers. But let's look at those Buccaneers and their keys to victory. For them, protect Tom Brady. How many times this year have we seen the Buccaneers lose games because Brady gets beat up? The Bears game, the Saints, those earlier games this year. When he gets hit and knocked down, we saw him throw an interception in his worst plays last week where when he was hit or pressured, this game usually flips in favor of the opposition. In this game, that's the Chiefs. So they got to protect Brady and don't let that good Chief pass rush. Chris Jones, Frank Clark, blitzing linebackers get after him. Also, Buccaneers, run the ball. I, your best offense is probably your passing game, but you got to keep that Chiefs offense off the field. They're so electric, so explosive. Your guys' offense is pretty good too, but you are prone to stalling a little bit. And I just really think if they can run the ball, control some clock, the weakness of this Chiefs defense is that linebacker position. So if they can get to the second level with those offensive linemen, should be able to break off some big runs, long methodical drives, keep Mahomes on the sideline. And lastly for the Buccaneers, they got to keep Mahomes in the pocket. We always see Mahomes' best plays are when he escapes in the pocket or the ability to buy time. Last year's Super Bowl, backpedal, 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 third and forever, Tyreek Hill. We see him escape the pocket and find guys like Travis Kelsey. That's when they're the most deadly. When the play breaks down, Kelsey and Mahomes' connection gets going. Keep Mahomes in the pocket, and that's the biggest chance to win. So how do I see this game turning out? I got the Chiefs winning 42-31. to 31. I think it could be close, but I kind of hit on a little bit earlier. I think Chris Jones is a big game. 
And I just think the Chiefs make the plays. I just think their offense is too hard to stop. Brady will make a turnover or two. And that's going to be the difference. So I got this game 42-31. Kansas City back-to-back Super Bowl. Young Goat beats Old Goat. And is well on a way to becoming the GOAT if he wins his second Super Bowl with three years of starting experience. Crazy what Patrick Mahomes could accomplish if he wins this game. Now, that's going to do it for NFL Talk. Let's shift over to the NBA. And I'm going to talk about some stories that have stood out to me this past weekend. First, Embiid and Jokic just continue to dominate. I mean, it's awesome to watch these big men go to work. They both won Player of the Month. Let's talk about Embiid. He got the, helped his team get the big win over the Lakers, pouring in 27. And two nights later, he dumped on the Wolves 37 points. Yes, the Wolves didn't really have a real center, but still, still not the easiest thing in the world to score 37 in today's NBA. I think Embiid is the slight leader for MVP over Jokic right now. He just continues to dominate in the paint. But also his mid-range game, he can take bigs off the dribble. His offensive package is deadly. We know the rim protector he is. It's so much fun to watch Embiid ball, and he continued it this past week. And speaking of ballage, balling, how about Nikola Jokic? pouring in 47 points and snapping the Jazz's 11-game winning streak. Now, I know it's going to be near and dear to a lot of you, you Utahians, if that's even a word, heart, but you just got to give Jokic credit. He's just an incredible player. We've seen Gobert in the past to struggle to guard him a little bit, and I just continue to be so impressed with Jokic's offensive game. He only had five assists in this game, too, so he's being really aggressive and attacking, and he's another guy. I think those two are one and two for Embiid, for MVP, Embiid, Jokic. But moving off of that game, how about Fred Van Fleet? He had 54 points for the Raptors, a franchise record, and made 11 threes, which is a personal best. Their franchise record is 12 on the three, so he didn't get that one. That, like I said, so we're talking Tracy McGrady, Chris Bosh, even the Kawhi Leonard's like the world, and I'm forgetting someone else off the top of my head. Vince Carter, I think that was who I was forgetting. All those great Raptors players who have been known to like go off and have a high-scoring met, Kawhi Leonard included, for the one year. And Fred Van Fleet is this team's all-time leading scorer on one night as the highest scoring game in franchise history. That's what I meant to say with 54. That is a stat and a bet that could definitely win you some money if you quiz someone on it. So props to Fred Van Fleet for helping his team ball out and they get a much-needed win as the Raptors have been struggling this season. But next, moving on to the last last storyline that I that popped to me before we get to the big takeaway, how about good was it to see LeBron get into it with a fan again? Obviously, we've all loved watching the watching Karen's videos and her talking about how she would mess LeBron up and everything. Oh, it's hilarious. It's so fun to get that fan interaction out of the way. I like how she was like, don't let a 25-year-old intimidate you or whatever she said when LeBron went on to close the game with nine straight points. And I think we both, obviously, this is LeBron James. He's dealt with his fair share of fan interactions and fan hate before. Wasn't going to phase him. Just funny to see him get back into it. Love the way LeBron handled it after the game, too, poking fun at it. And we know LeBron is a beast, monster on the court. And it's no surprising he was able to close this out with nine points. I mean, we just not that long ago, we saw him pour in that insane game, the 46-point performance he had versus the Cavs. That was so much fun to watch, too. So I really thought LeBron would load manage this year. So I've really enjoyed watching him play every game and get after it. And finally, the big takeaway of the week. We used to do big takeaways for the NFL. Now, big takeaway for the NBA. And so the Nets are weird. But I wouldn't pick anyone other than them right now to come out of the East. And why is that? Because they have some high and lows. Every game they're in is high scoring and close. Their loss to the Wizards, I believe, was 146-145. And the way they blew that game was special with letting Beal hit the late three, the horrible turnover by Joe Harris, and then Westbrook hitting the three, missing also the layup. At the end of the game, Timothy Luak Cabarro missing that as well. So it's just 
Stuff like that's insane. That's why they're so much fun to watch. You see them take teams like the Cavs a few weeks ago to double overtime, and then Colin Sexton goes off. Teams are going to score on this team. It's just really hard to outscore the Nets because of how, how high-powered they are on offense. So let's, there's three main reasons I would take them over any other team in the East right now. And it's one thing is the Nets, their biggest criticism, their biggest flaw is by far their defense. They currently have the worst defense in the league. But I believe a lot of their defensive issues at the moment are more effort issue than personnel. No, this team is never going to be a Milwaukee Bucks team of last year where they had the number one defense or even a Lakers level. But Kevin Durant, when he locks in, he's one of the best defenders at his position. It's not often that he locks in, but come playoff time, he's going to have to lock in. He knows that. When Harden and Kyrie give effort, they're not minuses on that end. They might be neutrals, but they're not minuses. Jeff Green, when they play him at the five, his ability to switch on to guys. Timothy Luak-Cabarro also helps out there. Yes, DeAndre Jordan isn't the best rim protector, but he's another guy, I think, come postseason. They've been able to rest him a little bit more this year, and you hope you can get something out of him. And there's also some rooms that could be getting some guys in the buyout market, but let's hit on that in a second. So I think their defense is more effort-related, and that's the biggest flaw with this team. I think come postseason time, they'll turn it on. Oh, the second point, their big three is better than yours. It's just a fact. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. It's the best big three in the league right now. And those guys, they don't need to get in rhythm. I'm watching the game against the Clippers, and Kyrie hits a big-time shot. We, we saw him get hot in an instant. We know Harden can get hot in an instant, and we know Kevin Durant can get hot in an instant. The reason Kevin Durant works so well in Golden State is because Stephen Curry, those guys needed to get in the rhythm. They needed to get the shots. And all of a sudden, it's, hey, let's give it to KD and see if he can get some instant offense going. And he was easily able to do that and get them out of some big situations. And he's going to do that for the next team. Same thing for Harden. He hit a step back three. There was a streak where he hadn't shot in a while, and then bang, they give him the ball, step back three. And I just talked about how deadly Durant is. He's another guy who's up there for MVP. He has been incredible in his return from injury. I didn't think he'd come back the same player we saw when he left the game, when at the time of his injury, I thought he was the best player in the NBA when he got that first injury after beating the Clippers in round one. So I've been so impressed with how he's come back, and their big three is just so dominant. And the last thing I'm going to say is I, I didn't include the how dominant their offense is because that's just kind of a given when you hit on the big three because those three guys are their offense. And then the complementary pieces, and Joe Harris, one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA, DeAndre Jordan, a great lob threat for James Harden. But you got to give credit to Harden for sacrificing. He's done a really good job this season of sacrificing shots. He wanted to win and he's changed his game. You got to applaud him for that. I hated the way he handled the Houston situation, but I can respect that Harden was willing to step back, not, not shooting wise, like he always does, take his game a step back and take on less of a scoring road, not force as many shots and become more of the point guard this team needed him to be with all the shooters and guys who can't create their own offense in. Joe Harris and uh, DeAndre Jordan that he has to create for. So I give him credit there. And the last reason, number three, is they're not done adding. They're going to be players at the buyout, whether it's Andre Drummond, another defensive guy at the two, they desperately need another wing with how much they depend on Jeff Green. If Jeff Green was to get hurt, that honestly might be the biggest loss this team. You might be like, what do you mean that would be the biggest loss? Well, you still got two superstars. You don't have another versatile forward who can play the three, four, or five outside of Kevin Durant, obviously. And the, the amount of boxes and the dirty work that Jeff Green checks for them, they got to get another guy versatile for it. They desperately need to find one. So that's, those are the big three reasons for me, especially that they're not dynamic. They're going to be big players in that buyout market. You know it, and I know it too. All righty, that is going to do it for this week's edition of the From the Stands podcast. I am going to be back next week breaking down the Super Bowl, giving my thoughts on NFL awards. I'm not going to be the happiest camper if Justin Jefferson 
loses Rookie of the Year. But hey, I hope he can ride the gritty across the podium and uh, the virtual podium and grab the trophy. And I am just so happy we're getting Super Bowl Sunday commercials, weekend performance, all of it thrown in there. It is a great Sunday, and I am fired up. And I am fired up that you guys listen and support this podcast as always. So thank you guys so much and signing off.